Hi everyone, I'm Madeline Park, stylist and vintage fashion hound. I believe everything has a story, whether it be clothes or the people that wear them. As we're forced to sit still, I want to travel through the stories of people in other places and explore how they're stepping out with a renewed sense of style. So this is Style Stories Stepping Out, a series which continues to share stories of creative people with a strong sense of style, but from places that we'd love to see and where we'd rather be. Today, I'm stepping out with Dr. Dawn Caron, New York-based professor, author, and mother of the field of fashion psychology. Heralded as the first fashion psychologist by the Times, Dawn is a pioneer many times over, and it's her sense of self-belief and empowerment that has shaped the courageous and cogent nature of both her wardrobe and her work. And while she draws from her formative years in performance to always show up, it's her sense of authenticity, both in her style and herself, that define Dawn's New York narrative. I hope you can sit back, relax, and enjoy listening to Dawn's story. Thank you so much for joining me today. I know it's your evening and you're probably exhausted. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you've got a lot of media commitments um, this week. <laughs> so I appreciate you eking out some time for us. Um, and so, uh, Dawn, I, I'm very excited to speak to you today um, because my podcast, Style Stories, really aims to examine the relationship people have between their clothing and their sense of identity. Um, and, you know, I feel really aligned to the work that, that you're doing in the field of fashion psychology, which you must be so proud to have pioneered. Um, <laughs> now, you released a book last year called Dress, uh, Dress Your Best Life. And one of the th- teachings that you go through in that is, um, uh, is around maintaining a sense of cultural identity in what you wear. So I'd like to kick off by asking you what that means um, for you in your field, but also uh, go into your story and and, um, explore a little bit of your cultural identity as an understanding of who you are and how you've been brought up. So are you happy to start there? Okay. So... uh... I guess you could throw out a question and then I'll respond. <laughs> okay, sure. Okay, so can you just define what maintaining cultural identity means for you in your in your terms? Yeah, so so I'll start off by um, giving you the formal definition or the academic definition of um, fashion psychology. So fashion psychology field is the study of how color, image, style, shape, beauty affects human behavior while addressing cultural norms and cultural sensitivity. So this cultural aspect um, that I added to uh, the field, my field, is hugely important because, you know, culture plays a role in what you place on your body, you know, uh, when you, you know, leave your home or where or when you you are even within your home. So um, depending on your religious beliefs, your cultural background, um, this actually influences, you know, again, what you place on your body. Um, as a, as an American, um, as a woman of color, as a black woman, as a, uh, I'm bicultural. So my mother is African American. My father is Jamaican. So um, there, there's 
those influences, it actually, you know, impacts what I wear, what I place on my body, you know, when I get up in the morning. Um, you know, as I, I can just tell you just right now, I purposefully um, decided to wear my hair a certain way and wear sweats um, to this talk because oftentimes when I wear sweats and I'm giving giving talks, people tend to underestimate my intelligence. They tend to think that I come from a lower socioeconomic background. Um, they tend to think I'm uneducated. So even when I'm teaching at uni, at u university, uh, I, I will show up in sweats and the, the, the students will be thrown off. They'll, they'll be like, wait, who's our professor, you know? <laughs> um, so uh, it, it's uh, a lot of stereotypes come with, you know, what you place on your body. Um, so do you like to mix it up do you, to, to disarm people? Yes, that's my thing. Uh, just like right now, I, I, I am a bit lethargic, I will say. Um, yeah. um, if, if everyone's following me on Instagram, I just um, uh, filmed yesterday. I'm also filming tomorrow. So it's very important for me to be um, authentic, to have a high degree of authenticity. Um, and so showing up in urban wear or street wear or athleisure, you know, in this um, hoodie, you know, um, is hugely important, again, because I've had my credentials questioned, um, you know, again, my socioeconomic status. So uh, we have to contend with stereotypes uh, when certain uh, groups of people or ethnic groups place things on their body that maybe other ethnic groups may not have to contend with. Yeah. So one of the things that I, I guess I try to achieve with style stories is to break down some of those stereotypes by showing um, people's individual differences and celebrating those, but also trying to um, show how our sense of identity and sense of self, especially in terms of our expression, can often come from a very humble place that is that offers a lot of sameness in terms of um, of people regardless of all of those kind of cultural appropriations. So, you know, a lot of it just comes from a really great school teacher who was very supportive or, um, you know, watching your mother get dressed because for a female that's often the, the site of womanhood that we idolise. Um, so that's what I, I, I guess I, I want to get your advice because you've got um, a plethora of advice to give, but I also want to get to know you a little bit better. Um, so can we go into just um, exploring a bit of your upbringing and understanding what those um, really humble kind of influences were for you in, the, in growing up? Yeah, so uh, my upbringing. So I went to a performing arts high school. My background is in opera singing. Um, oh, wow. So I've always been performing. I've, I've been, like, trained to perform. Um, so think um, how, I guess, someone that would be going to uh, the, the NBA, you know, to play basketball or to play tennis, um, the U.S. Open, how they have to train, you know, relentlessly. Uh, that's actually what I did um, – and my former, my former years. Uh, so I'm, I'm really good at, uh, you know, showing up. Yeah. Showing up <laughs> and actually expressing myself, you know, utilizing my voice. Um, and, uh, while I was attending, uh, this performing arts school, I had to also, you know, maintain a high level of academics, um, in the math sciences. So I've always been between these two worlds, arts, 
and like academia. Um, yeah. So merging fashion and psychology was very, very natural for me um, because I essentially have been, you know, toggling these two worlds, um, these two sides of me um, all my life. So that's a bit about my background. And did that reflect something that was happening at home? Like, was it a performative household? Was that something that, you know, was was part of the culture within your within your home? Well, um, I can tell you, uh, I have my book right here, so I won't give too much away. Spoiler alert, okay. Yeah, but I will tell you um, that I do discuss, you know, um, being one way uh, and private and being another way in public and right. how that shaped me. My parents, um, you know, uh, many people have have. Uh, different things that go on within their family. And, you know, uh, in my culture, you do not air out your dirty laundry. You don't do that. Uh, yeah. So, you know, you have, it's it's a bit performative. So, you know, when you go out in the world, whatever was happening within the home, you, lights, camera, action, one, two, three, and go. And you actually turn that off and you don't look like, you know, you don't expose what's going on within the home. So that's that's in both cultures. Um, my Caribbean culture, also being um, African-American as well, those are in both uh, cultures. You know, you conceal things. So, you know, you could be wearing, you could be going to church, you know, in your Sunday's best, you know, dressed to the nines, but no one would know, you know, what happened the night before. So um, I would say my culture can be a bit performative. Um, no one has asked that, but I do talk about it um, in the introduction of my book. So you all, yeah. I don't want to give a spoiler alert, but <laughs> it's, a, it's a high degree of uh, performance that I actually um, unpack in the introduction of my book. Okay. Um, and if, if we're kind of just teasing that a little bit further um, without, you know, kind of going too much into overlap of what's in the book, you, you are a pioneer of many sorts and a groundbreaker <laughs> and, um, a, and a high performer, right? So you're, you've got a huge array of media commitments. Um, you're an Ivy League uh, graduate. Uh, in terms of breaking new ground, it takes a certain self-belief to be able to do that. And, and I want to explore that a little bit further later because I know you've done it three times over. But um, does that self-belief come from a, the same place as that a, ability to perform and show up and kind of keep a bit of emotion separate to what you're delivering? You know what? Um, no one has asked me that. No one. <laughs> and I've been on every, I've been in media in several countries. No one has asked me that. Uh, I would say it does come from my background. Um, being able, one, again, performing in the arts. I told you, you know, in high school, it's, it, you know, I perform, but also within my culture, it's, it's performative as well. So I would say that actually played a role into dealing with the the perils that I had to face in pioneering a field um yeah. as a woman of color as particularly a black woman as a young woman as a young looking woman um I've been fraught with a lot of prejudices a lot of stereotypes the naysayers um people have telling me uh told me 
that in these exact words, I am a quack doctor um, because uh, the New York Times actually declared me the dress doctor after yeah. doing investigative journalism. And they, you know, um, wanted to acknowledge my pioneering efforts for several years. And so they referred to me as a dress doctor. And in academia, I actually had a few, I guess I would assume that they are colleagues of mine, I, even though I wouldn't necessarily say that, but uh, colleagues of mine, you know, call me the quack doctor. Um, and uh, there's no one that can certify me and give me a doctoral degree in something that I pioneered, something that I created. Um, so, you know, uh, it, it, it's, it's a lot. Um, because I, I can show up in this on purpose, you know, to debunk stereotypes, people question my, 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 uh, my education and who is she to um, pioneer field. Um, people have said, oh, the psychology of dress has already existed. So you have done, you have not done anything new, um, which may be relatively true. On, on, there's, all, there's always truths to everything. So on yeah. some level, it could be true. However, declaring it as a field of study, no one has done that. Um, yeah. And to uh, bring it, and, and academia, they tend to be, in, we tend to be in a bubble, um, you know, and have these, you know, be on our high horses, you know, and, you know, be all like this. <laughs> and we don't share, we don't share outside of conferences the, the, what we found and what we've discovered in our research. And so um, being heavily in the media, I'm able to share, this is what I've discovered, you know, and, and not, you know, just uh, keep it to myself or hog all of the research and just share it with other academics. So I've been pioneering, um, like you said, you said three times over. Um, yeah. And I, I do believe that my background, you know, the show must go on whether it's within my family or whether it's in, 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 uh, in school, the show must go on. I, I, I have that ingrained. So uh, someone may call me the quack doctor, but then the sh I have to do a media interview and I can't let that happen. Or something could be happening in my personal life and Good Morning America is coming to my home and I have to lights, camera, action. Um, so, I mean, my interns... Uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> I was just going to ask you was getting dressed. So, you know, in terms of two things, dealing with um, the naysayers, if you like, that want to call you a quack doctor in an environment where, which is highly competitive, because I know you're, you, you've said before that you've the first black female professor of psychology at FIT, which yeah. for those of you who don't know what FIT is, it's the most revered fashion school in New York. Yeah. Um, do you find, uh, is it, again, are you playing with those people by going, you know what, you might think like that, so I'm going to give you me and sweats and, and you can deal with my intelligence? <laughs> or do you, did you feel initially at least you had to represent all of those heady titles of identity in a certain way? Yeah, so uh, what you said, the, the, the latter is what I had yeah. to do. So I actually had to, I had to represent for my entire race, you know, um, being the first person. So I actually had to wear things, like I had to mood enhancement dress and wear things that um, played into that, that I had to prove myself. So I would wear suits. You will see me in a, um, I have a lot of suits. I'm pointing to my, my wardrobe behind <laughs> me or on the side of me. So I yeah. wore a lot of suits and I said, you know what, if I'm going to wear these suits, 
by golly gee, darn it, I'm going to wear some nice suits. So I have like a floral suit. I have the hot, the infamous hot pink suit. I have yeah. capes. Um, I wear capes. So I, when you oftentimes see me wear suits in the past, it was because I had to prove myself. I had to represent, I had a lot of pressure um, on my back, you know, representing my race, representing just everyone um, and standing up for what I believe in. Now that we are in, we were in quarantine, I had a, t a, a lot of time to sort of, um, you know, take an assessment and, you know, kind of check and see where I am. And I'm like, hey, I don't have anything to prove in my home. I'm going to wear what I want to wear, you know? So yeah. uh, the, the, the pandemic actually was beneficial for me because it actually took the pressure off. I could decompress. Um, I don't have to uh, prove myself. Um, so I spent what, uh, last time I was at uh, FIT was March, March 13, 2020. So I spent yeah. more than a year uh, decompressing and, and just not having to prove myself. So it was actually a gift for me, um, uh, you know. To take the time. pressure off. Yeah. So given your background has been in performance and you've obviously had lots of um, creative outlets growing up, you, you as you said, you, you merging psychology and interest in human behaviour with fashion um, was a natural kind of connection point for you. But why fashion? Why not go into art therapy, which is obviously a really established field? Why fashion for you? Yeah, for fashion, I was, um, I, I also, I, I was, I've always been cutting my clothes and like, so while I was singing or something, before, you know, I would go to class, I would actually cut my clothes. My mom, like, gave me permission to do that. Like, she didn't like, oh, girl, why why are you cutting up the stuff that I brought, you know, I purchased for you? She actually yeah. didn't think anything about it. She loved it. She encouraged me. I think even one time she even made me a costume for like a performance or something, an angel. I had to be an angel. One of my, <laughs> my, I remember she actually designed something. So very, my mother very much allowed me to wear what I wanted to wear. The only time she had some trepidation or she was like, you can't wear that is when I wore revealing things uh, where I'm, <laughs> I'm revealing my midriff or, you know, wearing two shorts of, sh of a short, you know, so shorts. So, uh, but I was, I was very much allowed within my, my mother's household to express myself. Um, so that just played a huge role into why I was drawn to fashion. I also um, was told growing up, Oh, you look like a model. You should model. Um, I, I also revered Tyra Banks when I was younger. I still revere her now, um, but I really would go to the library and check out books um, on uh, unauthorized biographies on her. I remember watching America's Next Time Model. I remember watching her sashay down the runway. So I was like, I always wanted to um, do that. And I was bullied in high school. So I used clothing to sort of boost my confidence. So I was utilizing theories that I've created now in, in school. Um, in school. Um, so when, when I was bullied, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna dress my best. So even if someone attacks me, I'm gonna just, you know, blink, you know, just disregard it because I look fabulous today and I know I do. <laughs> so um, I was using some of the theories in high school. So fashion was a, a, a way for me to, you know, get out of my shell um, I'm a very introverted person, believe it or not. It may not appear <laughs> that way. Yeah. It, it may not appear that way. But in, in, in my personal life, um, 
I'm I'm a, I'm an introvert. I am a twin. My twin is extroverted. Um, I am the only girl. Both of my brothers have extroverted personalities. We're all teachers. Um, we all are in the helping professions, but they're more extroverted. So because in school I was an introvert, I was very quiet. I used my clothing to speak um, things that maybe I was reluctant to say or afraid to say. Yeah. And now you go into that very topic in your TED talk. Um, and um, before I kind of go to that story, I want to know someone who has dedicated their work to fashion psychology um, and you become one of the elite members of um, people that get to say that they have done a TED talk. <laughs> What does one choose to wear or how, what is the pressure of picking that outfit for that event? Oh my goodness. Um, well, you know, I, the pressure was, I was already feeling pressure left, right, up, down, <laughs> sideways. I bet. So this was just an added, um, added pressure. But I know at the time I was like, okay, I have to prove myself. You know, people are, you know, at that time, did people call me a quack? That was right before people called me a quack doctor. So right. um, I was being um, uh, faced with racism uh, that actually, this is um, anything that I'm talking about, you can either find in my book or you can find in an article. Um, so I actually experienced a lot of racism um, as the first black psychology female professor. And so the, the pressure was already on. Um, so what I was thinking was I had to prove myself. Um, so I want people to take me seriously. Um, I still want to be myself. So my hair is like a big thing. Um, I'm all into big hair right now. I don't have the big hair, but during my TED talk, I'm into big hair. I'm into ethnic looking hair. So during that TED talk, um, people, you, I mean, you may notice uh, her hair kind of looks like a bird's nest or it's kind of um, just crinkly or just poofy. Uh, that's actually the look that I wanted. Um, the bigger the hair, the better for me. Um, so I just remember feeling like, okay, I have to prove myself um, and, you know, let's just wear this pink suit and let's just rock it. You know, I wanted to be in touch with my femininity. So I chose the color pink. I also wanted to feel powerful. That's why I chose the suit. And then the big hair, um, it just, big hair for me is my natural hair is huge anyway. So it just allows me um, a high degree of authenticity. Now I could have straightened it so it could be really, really straight. I mean, really straight. But that's not how the hair grows out of my head anyway. So yeah. <laughs> I'm like the, the, I want to be authentic. So, um, yeah, so that's what was going through my head uh, when I landed the TED Talk. I'm hoping to do another one to launch something else that's a part of the fashion psychology field. I'm saying it here. But, um, yeah, yeah, I'm really excited. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and so going into the TED Talk, I guess some, some of that stuff that you experienced in high school kind of uh, was coming out in the story that you told um, in terms of experiencing sexual abuse and, and turning to clothing as a means of, um, of safety and as, yeah. as a means of empowerment, uh, yes. which kind of brought you to that realisation point that these two things are, are critically pretty. important to each other. Uh, Yes. Uh, what what I yes. what I ha what I'm curious about in hearing those conversations that you've had, and I and I've obviously done my research on you, Dawn, but what I haven't heard is what was that outfit, 
And what, what was the power of that outfit for you? So why did those particular clothes that you put on that day hold so much significance for you? Yeah, so I, I remember adopting an Audrey Hepburn Breakfast at Tiffany's 1950s, 1940s style, maybe 1960s. I wore gloves. Um, I wore a scarf around my neck. I wore like a, a dress that sort of flared out. And I remember it was a it was in a skirt, but I made it look like a skirt because I put like a sweater on top of it, but it was actually a dress. And so I had this sweater, I have this um, dress underneath, but I'm wearing it as a skirt. And then I have a scarf around my neck tied um, to the side, and then I have on gloves. So, you know, at the time um, at university, people wore sweats, you know, so I was showing up to class looking like, what the hell, what is going on here? I oftentimes wore um, power accessories. So I also was a jewelry designer as well. So I actually wore these big, huge feather earrings. So notice that I like big things on my head, um, uh, looming around my face. So those things were sort of like armor, like to protect me, um, to express how I feel. I want people to think, who's that girl? You know, I don't want people to think, oh, who? I don't want to show up feeling very, you know, scary and, you know, and fearful. So I wanted to walk in powerful. And so um, that that's actually what I wore when I, after I experienced um, a sexual assault, um, I, I adopted a 1950s, 60s sort of style. What, um, why, why that though? Why, why an Audrey Hepburn look like for you? Is there some cultural significance there for you? Or is she someone that you revered growing up? Is that, mm, um, well, you know, well, being that I lived in New York city and, um, I, I, you know, it's based in New York city. I, I wanted to be like that New York city girl. I wanted to leave behind the, I'm from Ohio, the state of Ohio here in America. So I wanted to leave Ohio behind. I wanted, I'm, I'm this New York City girl. So that's what I was thinking. Also the fifties and the sixties, uh, women were very feminine. So I didn't want my femininity to be robbed. Um, oftentimes right. when victims have experienced sexual assault, they want to conceal themselves. Um, they want to uh, dress in baggy clothes. Um, they maybe perhaps want to dress more masculine, whatever the hell that means. And so I'm like, no, I want to still have my femininity. I think my femininity is beautiful. And so I just wore a lot of feminine um, attire. So that's why I was actually drawn to that, those decades. Those particular things. So now you stand, obviously, you know, we've talked about your power and your sense of empowerment in others. Um and you obviously like, you know, some big kind of features to accessorize you and, um, you know, kind of be symbols of that power. But if you were to describe your style in a sentence, what would that be now? A, a minimalistic glam. So <laughs> I'm very, very, I, I, I feel overwhelmed when I own a lot of stuff. Like right now, I feel like my during quarantine, I purchased a lot of things that I haven't worn. And my wardrobe right now, my racks are like over, like they're just, just to capacity. And I yeah. even forget that I'm like, oh, I forgot that I own it. I don't remember that outfit. And I don't like that feeling. I like to be able to know 
all of my pieces. So some of these pieces got to go. Um, so if you're looking to own some of my pieces, maybe, you know, shoot me a DM, but some of these pieces got to go. Uh, I saw you in a one-shouldered red sequin jumpsuit <laughs> yesterday. So I'm sure there's some kind of levels of fabulousness in there. Yes. Yeah, so I'm all about glam, but like, but I'm all I'm I'm all about glam, but just very minimalistic. And right now it feels very maximal, maxim maximalism, right? Yeah. Uh, so and I don't want to be that, right? So um, I may have to downsize or make it a bigger closet. You know, who knows? <laughs> um, but um, yeah. So I would describe myself very minimalistic glam. I own all my pieces. I repeat uh, some of my pieces. Hell, I may wear may even wear this same outfit tomorrow. You know, who who knows? Yeah. <laughs> So do you think that reflects the way you live your life? You like things streamlined, organized, neat, tidy, straightforward, but but representing, like, you know, but yeah, that's and volume. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's how I live my life. Um, and, and if it's anything outside of that, it feels very overwhelming. I get, you know, an anxious. And, you know, I like to quell my anxiety and, and be very uh, even kill, very chill, um, and, and yet still excited. So, yeah. Okay. Um, Dawn, we, I'm in Sydney at the moment and um, you might not know, but Australia has been swept with the Delta variant yeah. and not a lot of us are vaccinated. So a lot of us are in lockdown at the moment. <laughs> and for me personally, I'm on like week nine. Um, and, and you will have known from being in New York through the periods of lockdown that it, your moods shift quite dramatically depending on the day and the week. Um, and I know that you have some like quite straightforward as in easy to understand theories around mood and dressing, um, mood enhancement theory and the mood illustration theory. Can you yeah. give the audience a brief um, description of each of those theories at the moment? Yeah, yeah. So so uh, I, I do um, actually have... Uh, uh, my therapist is based in Australia. One of my therapists um, oh, yeah. is based in Australia. Um, so, and then I, um, I'm in the media in so many countries that I'm always abreast of international news. So I'm actually watching your media and your prime minister to see what's going to happen in the near future here in New York. Mm -hmm. So uh, you all are on lockdown first and everything usually happens in Australia first, and then it trickles. It, it's like a wave. So I'm expecting um, I'm saying it here now. I'm expecting New York will be on a lockdown uh, relatively before the year's over with um, or some yeah. type of restriction just because of I'm watching the trend. So um, I am mood illustration dress, mood enhancement dress. Right now, I'm currently mood illustration dressing. I'm actually lethargic. Um, I have to perform. I have to have a, a high level of productivity. And so I'm currently mood illustration dressing, which is dressing to perpetuate your current mood um, or to maintain uh, an emotional equilibrium. Um, so if you wake up and you're like, hey, I'm feeling kind of lethargic or I'm feeling kind of calm, you know, you could actually dress that way and actually activate a high degree of authenticity. You ever wear something, everyone that's listening from all around the world, and it feels uncomfortable because it doesn't match how you feel. Um, you feel stuffy. Like if I wore, wore a suit, which actually I was planning on wearing like a blouse or something, and I was like, oh no, I'm gonna do this interview and I'm gonna be so like blah 
and like, oh my God. So I didn't want to be like that. So in order for you to create a high level of authenticity, it's important to acknowledge how you feel and to create that alignment between your attitude and your attire. Mood enhancement dress, everyone, is dressing to optimize your mood. So right now I can see you you I'm dressing to optimize my mood. Yes, yes you know, um, being that you're in quarantine or you're um, in some type of lockdown, some type of restriction, mood enhancement dress will be proven beneficial. Um, but if you're doing some mood illustration dress, wearing loungewear, I would actually stress, you know, don't be in pajamas no longer than three days if you're feeling right. more on the melancholy, depressed side. Um, but yeah, it, mood enhancement dresses, dressing to optimize your mood, dressing to uplift your emotions. So I actually prescribe both of these theories uh, to my clients as well as my students, because students, they ask me all the time, what to do, professors? So I tell yeah. them as well. Um, you can mood enhancement dress or mood illustration dress with fabric. I know cotton fabrics are very great for mood illustration dress. You feel comfy in them, um, stretchy fabrics, uh, mood enhancement dress, sequins, bright colors. Um, so fabrics, colors, and what have you um, can be most beneficial. Yeah. And any particular colors that really help or are they, do you say that they're specific to the individual? Yeah. So I generally, um, I, I have some journal, generally I have journalizations. I'm a bit, look at my words. Um, they're just <laughs> running together, but, uh, I have journalizations and my book, Dress Your Best Life. This is the cover, uh, that you'll get if you're based in Australia. Um, the, the chapter is colors and context. Um, it is chapter five, I do believe. No, chapter six. Oh my God. Colors and context. So you'll get a rundown of what colors uh, mean, what, and depending on where you are. This is also um, individualized as well. So certain colors may not speak to you. That's why it's important to know, you know, this color works for me, this color doesn't. Um, but I would say generally uh, the color yellow um, is a happy color. Um, bright colors. <laughs> Uh, bright colors, according to research, elicits more positive emotions. Um, but this can be relative um, because yellow may not be your happy color. You know, it could be a particular fabric. I know leopard print is my happy uh, color slash fabric print. Um, yeah. So, so yeah. Okay. Um, one of the things that you've said in there is that, you know, in terms of the mood enhancement dressing and the types of things that we kind of might gravitate towards to um, make ourselves feel better, certain things like sequins and feathers. Now, I want to talk to you about this because um, you probably aren't aware, but my background, I studied psychology and then I worked in the fields of HR and organisational psychology for 10 years. Then I moved to New York and I studied at Parsons um, and I got a job as an HR business manager for Express. Um, so I, I was working out of their design studio in New York, but I would often go back to Columbus, Ohio. So I feel like there's a lot of parallels between us. I know. Um, but I, while I was in that role, uh, it was during the global financial crisis. And so, sorry, for the people that don't know what Express is, Express is a major fashion retailer in the US that's across the US. It's big in the coastal regions as well as middle America. Um, but it's also had a really long standing presence. So at the time that I was there, it had been around for about 35, 40 years. So it really weathered the storm of you know, uh, economic shifts. And one of the things that resonated because we were going through a major financial shift at that time 
was something that the CEO said in terms of how they have been successful at weathering that storm. And he said, in terms of consumer behaviour, um, consumers tend to do two things when they're buying fashion through these economic times. And it's, they either buy their staples, they buy like the pair of pants that they um, have worn religiously, they know fit that, you know, I guess that mood illustration dressing, they're comfortable for them. They know those pieces of clothing, their t-shirts, like the, the plain t-shirts, the shirts that they wear every day, or they go to that thing that's fabulous, um, you know, like the sequence, the performative stuff, the stuff that makes us feel better. So really, it, it that really does apply your two theories. Um, yeah. So do you think, because I know that you've written about this recently, I read an article in Refinery29 where you were talking about like um, at the moment, like some of the behaviours are around going for those like fabulous things. Do you think this is another function of um, our economics or do you think this is something more specific to do with the pandemic? Um, I I think it can be both. Um, I I think during the pandemic, um, it changed our relationship with fashion um, just because our relationship with clothing rather, um, because we were just, you know, stuck and people began to think like, okay, what do I want to wear? If I can't go anywhere, can I still wear my gym clothes? If I can't go anywhere, if I can't go on a date with my guy, can I, can I wear, you know, clothing for, for date night, you know, within the home. So I think I want to say, I would say both, but I would say during the pandemic, I mean, I really saw a shift. I've been talking about fashion psychology for a number of years, um, and it's like um, uh, knocking on a door and banging on it, and no one's like hearing me to open the door. And like during the pandemic, it was like open sesame, oh, abracadabra. <laughs> and so, and so, uh, I, I would say, yeah, it's a little bit of both. But the pandemic really activated, um, you know, this mood illustration dress, mood enhancement dress. Um, it's just coming to mind. Um, my guy, uh, he works a lot. He travels, uh, travels for work. Um, he's in music. And so I really, I've been indoors, right? Okay. Uh, New York is kind of open, but I'm kind of like leery, like, you know, you know, I don't want to go certain places, whatever. Um, the introvert in you. Yeah. And so I, I wore this, I put this dress on, I purchased this white dress that has a slit on the side because I've been dressing just sexy during the pandemic. And so for some odd reason, right, no one can see me. And so I was like, babe, I was on the phone with him. I'm like, babe, you should really see me in this dress. I look good. And he's like, okay, before everything locks down, I'm going to take you on a date and you get to wear the dress. Well, something came up. And want want he couldn't take me on the day, and I was kind of upset because I'm like I want to wear my dress, and so sure enough I wore it inside the house, you know. So um, this is just ways you could do, you know, if you're indoors, you could still mood enhancement dress, you could still look sexy, um, even for yourself, and it could be uh, healing. So I just thought I would share that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that story. Um, <laughs> So one of the things I've read about, you know, how the pandemic has maybe shifted our mindset is that we um, are addressing, like you're saying, like that story absolutely illustrates is that you're dressing for yourself, for your own mood, not because it's a trend, not because it's a social expectation of this is what you wear to this type of thing. And, you know, there's certain kind of Copenhagen Fashion Week happens like a week ago. New York Fashion Week is about to happen. Um, And I wonder what trends you might predict coming down the runways as a result of that sense of 
real individualism that might be coming through our fashion as a result of the pandemic? Yeah, so I feel like uh, people will um, uh, indulge in this escapism. Um, the designers will do whimsical things, like things that probably you, you wouldn't wear on an everyday basis, but just to escape our current reality um, and mm. to get away from the uncertainty, the trepidation, the fear. So I, I would actually maybe draw a prediction that people will um, dress as a form of escapism or they'll we'll see on the, the runways um, things that we probably normally wouldn't wear. I do, I would also make a prediction that people will go back into time People will go back into time, and I want to say they're going to go back to the 80s. But but I've, I've been seeing a lot of, uh, like, I've been seeing 2000s. I've been seeing 40s. Yeah, there's a lot 20s. of Y2K stuff. <laughs> yeah, so I, I really think um, we're going to go back into time, you know, with our dress, and, and we're, we're going to see that on the runway, even with the upcoming Fashion Week and then the uh, the one in uh, coming up in 2020. 2022 I'm like it's so hard yeah. to say that but, yeah. <laughs> but what, why do you think the 80s what what do you think it is about that era that might resonate for us now is it the opulence the... yeah the opulence you know that it's because because if you're confined and and you're now you're dressing for self and you're coming out of your shell and even if we're not confined like we're still some parts of the world are open you still can't do the things you want to do so I feel like the 80s were like big shoulder pads everything was big and also maybe big shoulder pads to like get you know we have to do that six feet of separation so you know you, you can't be shoulder to shoulder with shoulder pads you know what I'm yeah. so, so just try to make light of it but um I really yeah. feel like we're going to go back into the previous decades as well okay um in terms of the pandemic affecting you personally like I know that travel has been a huge part of what you've been doing yes. up until last year. Yes. What, what are the kind of, um, what have you seen having to shift, um, including travel for you? Well, um, no travel and I could travel now, but I'm actually fearful to travel. Um, yeah. um, I, my guy, he, he works in music, so he travels a lot. I, I'm able to travel to see him. Um, but I'm fearful to travel. Um, I've actually had to contend with that today and be honest with myself because I could travel right now while everything's open, but I'm actually, mm -hmm. I am deathly afraid to travel right now. Um, so how it shifts my work is, um, well, I'm already an introverted person. Um, so I don't feel like, oh my God, I, I'm not talking to friends. I, I'm an introverted person. So it just, um, gives me more time to branch, create more branches of my fashion psychology field um, yeah. that I can say here, that I can say here, there are not a many, lot of, there are not a ton of people on this live, but if you're here, uh, the fashion psychology field will expand. Um, so it's given me time to focus on that. And, and as I said, I'm not focused on proving myself anymore uh, right now. Um, I'm in my home. So it gives me more time to be creative. And um, so as I'm, do I'm doing my press runs and doing these lives on Instagram and what have you, podcasts, what have you, um, I am uh, working on branches. My Currently, one of my students, they're online. Hi, yeah. special <laughs> shout out to Santia. Um, <laughs> 
she's a graduate from the Fashion Psychology Institute. She's actually the first Black uh, uh, graduate of mine um, in my field to, to graduate. Um, so, so shout out to them. Uh, shout out to everyone who's watching here in America and in Australia and anywhere else you're located. Um, but yeah, that's how it shifted for me. So I'm focusing more on branching the field um, because I don't. I can disregard the naysayers and I'm. I'm um, believe it or not, I can tell you, I'm working on the second book. And like, Excellent. it's weird because like, I'm everyone's like focused on this book. And I'm like, oh, I can't wait to tell you <laughs> what I'm gonna, you know, now. Um, so someone even touched on someone in the comments said something about their hair. They said during the pandemic and lockdown, they wouldn't wear any makeup. They wouldn't really focus on their clothing. But I read that they focused on their hair. And yeah. <laughs> wink, wink. The second book will make up his hair. Yeah. <laughs> you heard it here. You yeah. heard it here. Heard <laughs> it here first. Yeah. <laughs> oh. um, so one of the things you, you were hoping to do, though, was um, travel to Africa. I, I heard you say that earlier in the year because it's a lot of work that you're, yeah. you're due to do there. So Yeah, so, so I've been commissioned to actually – for East Africa, to bring my field to East Africa and to put East Africa on the international fashion stage. Um, um, so uh, launching um, uh, a fashion institute there, um, uh, bringing fashion to them. And so it's a, it's gravely affected me because I was supposed to be over there um, and I'm not. Um, um, also, I was supposed to do a book tour. Um, I was, I'm signed to Hachette, the publishing agency, uh, publishing, uh, the publisher here in the U.S., Hachette, and I'm also signed to Penguin Random House in the U.K. So I was scheduled to do a lot of media appearances. I was scheduled to do a lot of talks at universities and womp womp. I can't do it. So I'm, I'm actually not um, dismayed. I, what I'm feeling is that, you know, once everything officially opens up, officially, I'll be able to continue where I left off, and, and if not, even more. Um, my book is currently in five languages, Ukrainian, Russian, Spanish, and English with five different book covers. So I am, I, I, I am predicting that once we really open up, I'll be having a massive book tour I'll probably hit every <laughs> continent you know so so yeah well and I and I hope to see some fabulous leopard print uh <laughs> sequined and feathered outfits as you step yes. out to do the book tour <laughs> <laughs> well um thank you for for participating in style stories today um and I can't wait to publish the podcast as well as have had had the live today um, but very much looking forward to seeing how your field develops and uh, watching you dawn break new ground more times over if you like style stories but are looking for a little more connection please come and join style stories the circle a facebook group i've created to provide a community-minded space where you can discuss the latest episodes get social and share your style and your stories